0: Thank you so much for listening to episode eight of The Kindness Rebellion. In this episode, I have another great conversation with my longtime friend, Casey Lee. We discuss the nature of power and how to challenge it when it is going to work by any means necessary to protect itself. I really think there's some good knowledge in here for everyone and kind of helping us uh, navigate this crazy political landscape. So please like and share the podcast or do whatever it is you do to show me that you like it. Thank you so much. We, Dude, Casey, thank you so much for being on the podcast again, man. Uh, it was really, really, really good to see you recently. Um, and so it just reminded me how much I love talking to you about all this cool, crazy stuff going on in the world, man. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you. It's It was amazing last time. I'm glad to be able to join again.
0: Yeah, dude. Um, and one of the things that I mean, one of the reasons I did want to have you on the podcast again is because you uh i mean in our last conversation on the kindness rebellion you brought up some stuff that just like it totally i don't know it really stuck with me like one of the things specifically that you said was um how power will uh protect itself by any means necessary right i i think i had i had a pretty strong uh you know na- na- naivety or you know i was being really naive about how we could change the world and i was sort of just like convincing myself that yeah if, if we get enough people on board then uh, you know those in power are just going to uh, you're just going to chill out and be like okay we get it you know you has got to back down i guess yeah. but, you called
1: you know, us are kind of, you, yeah.
0: <laughs> right, you pointing the ad out just really showed me how um, there really needs to be sort of uh, i mean there will be some sort of conflict you know we in in any way of changing or or sorry, challenging centralized power, like there will be some type of conflict as a result of that. And so I guess I really wanted to gear this conversation towards understanding how we can challenge that type of power and how we can challenge people that will be protecting that power by any means necessary.
1: Absolutely. Well, I'm really glad that that, you know, I think about power a lot because, uh, you know, it's super relevant uh, it affects everyone. Um, people in power, the decisions that they make really kind of affect just all of us. Um, so, uh, I mean, do you want to just jump right in?
0: (laughs) Yeah, dude, let's hear it. Let's hear hear your thoughts. So
1: I think that, um, I think it's really culturally that we'll be able to, uh, kind of win the hearts and minds of the people. Um, and then once the culture starts changing, uh, we will develop new expectations for people in power and there will will hopefully develop new rules for the powerful uh i think right now um we're in a climate where uh, might makes right and there aren't really a lot of ethical um rules that that are i don't know morality for the powerful is very different than morality for you and i and uh I think that one of the reasons that uh, people, that we have such a hard time unifying against uh, the powerful and kind of challenging their kind of free reign is that um, we think that um, there's, there's a coupling in our brain with money and safety. And when we pursue money, we think that as soon as we, Get enough money to like pay for ourselves and for our family to get the care and shelter that they need. That will be safe. But the truth of the matter is, is that money doesn't provide any safety at all. It's communities that provide safety, uh, safe communities, and so it's people living together um, and taking care of each other that really provides that safety. And so that and that's a cultural um, state of mind. I think. I mean, I, I think that's driven by our culture that we just need to stop. Equating um, money with security, and start really, you know, just realizing that, like, you know, what's keeping me safe is my neighbor next door, uh, not being violent, or, or me not being violent against them. Like we, you know, like social agreements
0: and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I like how you tied that together because um, I, I I do see the the inevitable link of having to not only hold those in power to a completely different standard, but also um, uh, tying that to the fact that those in power are not protecting us just because they have all of these means and all of this, you know, money and the power in general, but that they should only really be able to protect us if they are within our community, if they actually understand our situation and how to, you know, connect with us. Um, it kind of reminds me, actually, of uh, Russell Brand talking about how uh, power within, like, any sort of new system or like with decentralized communities needs to really be more of a or positions of power need to be a service it needs to be sort of something that you wouldn't want to be in something that you wouldn't really be able to benefit off of um and i think that might be kind of what you're talking about where you're saying that they need to have different standards to be held to and they have to kind of view their own power in a completely new light where it is of being service to their community rather than oh hey I'm out in Washington, even though I, you know, am a Senator for some state on the other side of the country. Uh, it's more important to me now to be, you know, uh, fulfilling these uh, agreements between businesses and things like that in order to preserve myself. Cause I, I kind of often say that anyone, you know, any politician, a federal politician specifically, um, they almost like can't actually do what's best for the people in there. And there's, state or city or anything like that because they're sort of necessarily bound by the networks in their federal position where, oh, okay, yeah, I want, you know, my state to have these benefits, but that means I have to, I have to promote this bill. I have to like vote for this bill and I have to like get, uh, I have to coordinate and network with these massive corporations and stuff like that. And so they're almost like pulled away from their communities and are forced to, Network and protect themselves within some something else entirely, and then it totally leaves these communities stranded. I feel like
1: well it's true i mean i I'm not sure if we got to talk a lot about what how I believe the nature of power is, which is i i, I believe it's like a natural force, like electricity or uh or, you know not that electricity is a force, but um it's it's a force of nature, I guess. Um, in in that like it behaves kind of like a like it, it, it kind of works through us. And what I mean by that is that um, in order for uh, in order to achieve and maintain power, there has to be kind of an opportunity, and there has to be kind of a way. It's it's like lightning striking a person. Like they have to be in the exact right position at the right time, and they have to have the means to kind of keep and secure power. And so I think that these people who are in positions of power, um, they they have to ally themselves with others who are going to help them maintain power, like, um, you know, mm. private security, law enforcement, financial, you know, I mean, that's uh, corporations, like, they, they just have to, because if they don't ally themselves with those um, figures, those uh, stability figures, then someone else, their competitor, will and then they will get forced out. And all of a sudden, they, they're no longer kind of the conduit of this this powerful, this power force that's like traveling through them. Somebody else is. And so like if they, um, it might as well be them, right? That's that's kind yeah. of the, the thought process I think that a lot of these people have. So I think honestly, they're just as captive uh, as we are, you know, like <laughs> I don't think like yeah. uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm not advocating for. The super rich or uh, very uh, powerful politicians, but I I think that you know the system is hurting them as much as it's hurting
0: us. Yeah, because I mean it's just like you said, if if they do try to combat this power structure or this system that they're like sort of washed up in, um, they will either just get completely kicked out or they uh, they could become a victim to it even more so. And I think even if they do decide, okay, I'll yield in these certain like places, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll yield to the system here and, and so that I can achieve this better purpose. Like they, I think they start building this delusion for themselves that like everything they're doing is like a benefit to the people that they want to serve, even though in the end, they're really just preserving themselves, which makes sense. And, uh, you know, like you said, you can't really blame anyone for kind of falling into that trap. We just have to see this system- systemic patterns that are creating that trap. And And, uh, why is power so concentrated?
1: You know, why is it that one person is forced into that position? Because, you know, they are, they're stuck. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
0: So I'm, I'm wondering like with that in mind, with sort of how difficult it is to try and fight the system from within, do you think that it sort of has to be, does decentralization have to occur from within the system? We have to try and break free of these networks or is it, I mean do we have to complete wow do we have to complete uh create something completely different instead I
1: I think that every day every human being wakes up and decides that they're going to continue with this that you know we're going to perpetuate this arrangement that we that's developed over time I don't think anyone voluntarily chose to be in this position that we're in and to have society be this way. It's just, you know, uh, I think a lot of, uh, short-term, uh, I, I think that a lot of policies that were put in place, uh, throughout history were kind of geared towards like short-term, uh, benefit and we kind of, neglected the long-term like investments into infrastructure and investments in our local communities and so i think we're just kind of seeing the fallout of that um uh I, so so to answer your question um change has to come from within society you know i don't i don't see of it happening any other way but will it will the change play by the same rules that we live by now uh no uh because People and you know you have those stability figures like like uh, private security, law enforcement. You know the financial um, industry, uh, like you know banks, financial interests. They they are very invested in keeping the status quo because they're like you know uh, afraid. They're afraid of how this change is going to affect them and how they're going to like lose the gains that they worked so hard to 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 achieve. Mm. I mean, people are going to get hurt. It's going to be uncomfortable. Uh, I mean, not to say that I'm just, I mean, by what I mean by that is that, um, there's going to be like friction, uh, you know, industries are going to end, you know, and people are going to lose jobs. There's going to be kind of a shift. And so, you know, it's not going to be comfortable, but, but we, at some point we have to start investing in long-term and that means stopping investing in short-term,
0: right? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's almost becoming inevitable. So it's like we have to start, I guess, what I've been seeing and what I'm kind of thinking about is having to not necessarily build an entirely new system adjacent as if it's going to be completely, you know, unattached from our current system, but building up systems and structures that are able to weather the inevitable collapse. Um, because I think what, you know, what you said is super valuable. Like we can't delude ourselves into thinking that any sort of radical change or any radical shift is going to just be like some comfortable, smooth transition as if it's like, Hey, here's your pamphlet. You know, you're going to be able to easily ease into this new uh, system. That's good for everybody. You know, it's going to be extremely difficult and it's probably going to be um, you know, very painful. Like you said, I mean, Adam Curtis uh, has talked about how a lot of people, especially on the left, will you know call for revolution and call for huge radical systemic change but they don't actually realize what that'll mean you know they think oh i just want the banks to be a little bit nicer to me or i want my federal government to be a little bit nicer to me but what is actually required is going to be a complete overhaul and this complete shift that is going to be painful and is going to uproot things um so i think that's really important
1: and you know this also um there's there's another so earlier i was talking about um money being equated with security and i think we equate power to control um we believe that powerful people have control over the outcomes of events and situations and that's just not the case a a powerful person um is subject to certain rules and, and and other people just like we are and so they 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 do have you know a uh, considerable level of uh, I I would argue like they they do have more resources available to them to affect change uh, that they want, but they don't have control. Um, you know, control comes from being able to predict how things are going to. Ha- uh, you know, uh, the con- um, uh, making accurate predictions, and right. that, and that comes from science. That's really the only thing that uh, provides uh, control as, as far as what we what's useful to us, you know, is just science, you know, if it's predictable, it's science, it's going to provide that for us. And it's not going to be people in power that, um, protect, uh, us from, you know, like a pandemic, right. It's going to be science (laughs) and health. (laughs) Um, Uh, so, you know, that's another thing that I think is important is that a powerful uh, people in power don't actually control, uh, what happens. They just sort of react and respond to what happens.
0: Yeah. So I guess this kind of makes me think because, you know, where you said that power is sort of like a force of nature, it's almost like it's something that like, really can never be removed. And I, I think we're on the same page that, you know, it, it power needs to be decentralized and however that happens might be difficult. I, I guess the hard question that we, we have to inevitably run into is how much does it need to be decentralized? You know, uh, like Russell Brand thinks it or has talked about how, you know, our ancestors are like these our ape ancestors could really only functions in groups of about like a hundred people or so or a hundred, you know, apes or whatever. But I wonder how much power has to be decentralized in order to be. um, I mean, I guess I guess that leads me into another question is what do we want power to do for us? You know, uh, how do we kind of make it work for us in a way that's no longer strangling us and sort of creating these conditions that are so obviously uh, detrimental to our health. I mean, what do you think about that?
1: I think that
0: happens at a a cultural level.
1: Like you said, power should be an act of, ser- or um, power should manifest through service. Uh, somebody, m- we live in a world where there are some people who can launch nukes and some people who can't. Right. And so, uh, how do, how do we choose who has the power to launch a nuke or fire a drone and who doesn't? Um, that's a really difficult question. I think the answer is, uh, that you really should only be responsible for your own life. Uh, and I mean, just, I don't know, harm reduction. Uh, this is why I think that um, smaller autonomous, I, I do agree with Russell Brand that like smaller autonomous uh, communities are the answer. And the reason for that is that, that um, you have to allow people to govern themselves in most aspects of life. You just have to give the people the ability to self-determine um, how they're going to live and who they're going to be because humans, they, they they act in their own best interest, right? You don't need somebody to tell you how to take care of yourself. I mean, hopefully, I mean, I'm not I'm, I'm, as an adult, I, at least. Yeah. Um, and so small autonomous communities could, um, you know, they, ha, they being able to self-determine and, and, and govern themselves how they want, they can, they can really, it, it, it's, it's more of a realistic, um, Way of looking at uh, life, because, like you know, like I said earlier, you know, security doesn't come from a federal. You know, I, I'm not going to be protected by the federal government if my community is in decline and crime rates increase, and um, my, I, I don't have a reliable shelter, and my you know all, all of all of these issues are going to be solved by a better community. They're not going to be solved by it's more centralized uh, power.
0: Mm-hmm. Just... sorry, go on.
1: Oh, uh, it, it, I just think that people act in their own best interest. Like you have to just believe people will act in their own best interest. And, and so you have to empower them to do that. And I think the best way to do that is just to, uh, give people back the means of production and then live kind of in, uh, societies that self-govern, small societies. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I like some of the things that you tied together there. Cause, um, what, what makes sense to me is that when you kind of sort of bring up the point that, well, first of all, uh, people should not be having the power to, you know, determine someone else's life. Right. So uh, like essentially what I'm hearing there is it, power must be held by those most affected by it. Right. So then if that's the case and you're also tying in this like just real realistic concept that we can really only like think about and care about ourselves, or at least like our social group, right? A social group that we can at least comprehend with our ape mind, you know, because it doesn't make sense to try and, you know, think of the best interests of hundreds of thousands of people, let alone millions, hundreds of millions of people, because you just really can't even comprehend how to simultaneously take care of and protect yourself and protect all of those people and understand those situations anyways. So then having the power to affect change for that many people is just, I mean, I don't understand how it could ever really go right. Um, So I think think that actually helps a lot. That kind of strings together the concepts together. We have to see that power can only really be held by those most affected by it so that they can work within the groups that their, you know, physical anatomy and psychological like well-being can actually work within and understand. Um I like that a lot. It,
1: you know, I think it I think we need to question our understanding of free agency uh as well like sh- I I I want to I I would like to know if it's ever ethical for Putting one person in charge of of the lives of millions of others, like for the millions of others, but also for that one person, like like that's a very um, I feel like on a on an existential level, that's dangerous. It's a dangerous position to be in either way because you're you know, that level of responsibility. I think is is harmful, whether uh, regardless of the outcome. You know, I mean, yeah. so if we reduce this, if, if, if we can challenge people's ideas of, of like, oh, yeah, like the president can solve all the problems for everybody or the governor can solve all the problems for everybody in the state. If we can, it's not about we don't need heroes. We need to empower people to be people and help themselves, give yeah. them the tools to help themselves because they do. They will. <laughs> you know, they, they want to be happy and safe, too. Right. And they know how to do it. Everyone
0: does. I like that because it's sort of it's sort of I like questioning the morality of such a power structure, because even if one person were somehow like, I don't even know how this, this could even be possible. If one person could actually enact the well-being and freedom of hundreds of thousands or hundreds of millions, it would probably destroy them. It would, like there's no way that that person could even exist, I, I, I think. Um, so I, I, I like that that questioning of that morality because it really does put into perspective how, how is that even supposed to work? And yet we're still pretending like it's actually working. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I I like that a lot. Um, I was going to go somewhere. Oh, essentially I'm I'm curious now, like, what do you think freedom is then? You know, how can we even, uh, you know, I, I kind of, we hear this all the time that, we sort of think that America is like the most free country somehow. And yet I feel like the only thing we're really free to do is to produce and consume. And to me, that just doesn't seem like true freedom. And it seems that we've like allowed ourselves to slowly uh, close in any sort of definition to freedom to those two things. And so I was curious on your thoughts on that, especially uh, within the concept of, power power structures and trying to essentially govern people right
1: yeah you know um i think freedom is self-determinism uh, the ability to uh self-determine I, i'm not uh, you know uh in in every imaginable aspect uh if human beings should be able to dictate how they interact with reality uh Since from the time that they're born, you know, I mean, I, I think that, uh, we, we have so many structures and systems and institutions in place that, that guide people into these roles, these social roles that exist. And then, um, these people convince themselves that their roles are who they actually are. And that is who they all, that is all that they can ever be. And, um, it's very harmful, I think, to, um, reduce someone to a specific role. And, uh, you know, you see this in lots of ways, Um, uh, certain industries, uh, you know, like, um, retail, right. Uh, how you treat your cashier, um, it it is determined by whether or not you see them as a person or whether or not you see them as the role that they're fulfilling, which is, you know, the, the job of a cashier, like, and, and this happens all the time. I mean, human beings are constantly looking for reasons, to, um, uh, belittle or, um, they're looking for an excuse to treat someone as lesser than them and so that they feel better about themselves. And I think that that's, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I definitely do it. <laughs> so, so I, I think freedom means that these roles that we have to play don't define us. We define us.
0: Yeah. I like that a lot because I think it's interesting because we we really do create our identity with our occupation. You know, anytime you you talk to someone, you're meeting them for the first time, it's like, oh, hey, what's your name? What do you do? You know what? What's your role in our society? And therefore, that is your identity. And I think it's funny that we sort of tell ourselves like, oh, but we live in a free society because you can choose what role. You know, to some degree, at least, you know, oh, I can go and be a teacher. I can go and be, you know, a banker. But what we don't realize is that we're still whittling down our freedom to one thing. We're totally creating our identity through this role, like you're talking about. And, and I love that you bring that up because that to me just isn't really freedom. It's really the freedom to be. And I can't remember, um, some social psychologist. I'll have to, I'll have to try and look it up or something. But they were essentially talking about this concept and how our society really tries to force people to fully identify with their role and simply try to navigate within the hierarchy of that role. And the example they give is talking to somebody who's, um, you know, a, a waiter, you know, at some restaurant and watching them try to be the absolute best waiter in the entire world and fully devoting themselves to the role and this this uh, social psychologist was just so sad because they're like they're so much more than just a waiter. They're so much more. They are a free human being that can literally do anything, and um and that, that just really struck me. So I that's really what that conversation this conversation makes me think of. Um, I love that a lot. Uh,
1: if you just if you can just imagine um all of the high school age um early. Uh, adults or uh, uh, you know uh, young adults, um, all, all of those people in the labor force, um, what they're doing is you know working at restaurants, working at retail. Um, they're th- these these kind of mind numbingly dull uh, jobs that really produce so little value in their communities. And if you could just imagine, if we could free all of them from those jobs and put them put, put all of that um, I guess uh, potential into, you know, protecting the environment or improving their communities or helping, um, you know, the advocating for change, right? Like all of that wasted time and effort in these kind of irrelevant uh, roles that exist and that they're just doing it for the quick buck, right? That's a short term uh, benefit to them with enormous Uh, incalculable long-term loss, right? I mean, you're killing dreams here. (laughs) I don't know how else to put it.
0: (laughs) I mean, seriously, that makes me think like, you know, you have people that are spending eight to 10 hours serving burgers when those same people could be, you know, working with their community to grow food. You know, they could be working with their community to educate their community or something like that. And and they may not even be forced to work the entire eight hours doing that because if everybody is so is working together and fully um, understanding the value that they can put towards their community, they may like you know with this sort of collective energy and this uh, cooperation, we could easily achieve such amazing things for our community with like a fraction of the time. But instead, we're spending eight to ten hours doing like what you said, something that has such actual little value um, and being essentially kind of being forced into it. So that makes me so sad, but it's such a good point. And I think that's something that really needs to be driven home for people. You know, we have to, I sort of saw that, um, you know, when the pandemic hit and we sort of were like, oh yeah, let's cheer on our frontline workers, all these like grocery store workers and things like that. And we were sort of seeing their actual value within the community but not actually valuing it, you know, we weren't, they weren't raising their wages. They weren't, you know, trying to provide uh, any sort of mental health reprieve or anything like that. We were just sort of like, yep, we totally and wholly rely on you and uh, just kind of don't awaken to that. Just get, you know, be happy with some of this uh, social praise that you're getting right now and these billboards that say thank you, you know. Uh, that's, that's that's such an important point.
1: I agree, I, I worked retail, um, in the beginning of the pandemic and one of my coworkers was this sweet uh, older woman who was just
0: everyone loved her
1: you know whenever she worked uh, people would go to her line uh, in order to just interact with her they just loved her she was just spunky and, and hilarious and uh, when the pandemic hit you know we got the um, pay different. We got a $1 an hour pay increase for hazard pays for hazard
0: pay. Damn. What are yeah. you going to do with all that extra cash? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I
1: know. And they provided PPE, you know, gloves, masks, uh, they detect our temperatures every day. But all I could think about and uh, all I could think, all I could think about as I worked was, was I would look over at this woman and think you are so in, invaluable to the community and everyone loves you and you're being mistreated. You're being exploited. And I ended up quitting due to that. I was like, you yeah, well, this is ridiculous. I, I can't be a part of this. And so I just, I left. But that's what I'm talking about is, is, that, is that these people contribute so much more to their communities than just their jobs and just those roles that they play. Uh, and, you know, everybody needs to eat and everybody loves, most people love burgers. So like burger flippers have to exist. <laughs> I mean, I'll pay, I'll, you know, I'll, they do, but uh, they should want to do that and they
0: shouldn't be defined by that. And it shouldn't I like put them at risk, of course. Yeah, that's super important. And I think um, I, I think it's so valuable that you were able to to see that and understand what's happening. Because I think most people within our society and our culture don't really understand that sort of the baseline of our culture is exploitation. And maybe they do understand that and just see it as what it's supposed. to, You know, oh, that's what it is. You know. But we yeah. could we could be doing things that aren't so, like, essentially and necessarily exploitative. You know, we could be having this wonderful person working within her community to provide for her community and be taking care of herself because that community has that shared vision of, like, we're trying to end exploitation. We're trying to protect other people and prioritize human beings over profit and growth.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, the, you know, you, we hear arguments for the four, uh, four day work week, right? Like a reduced, um, schedule and how it, it boosts productivity. That's, that's always the main selling point. That's like the, the headline boost productivity, mm-hmm. even with less hours. Whoa! But what they don't even mention what nobody wants to think about is that those extra hours people are going to use to benefit their own lives. Imagine the hobbies, the, you know, renovate, you know, uh, the, child childcare potential, like there's so much potential for improving human lives and the quality of living, but no, the headline is inc- same level of productivity, <laughs> right? I mean, that shows how backwards are a lot, are, are, uh, how decoupled, um, quality of life is from, from what we consider to be production and, and, and value in, in society.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see that because I mean, it's just the, the entire, the human costs just really aren't really considered to be costs. It's almost, I, I think that's the sad part about it. It's like, oh, hey, we can kind of like bear, we can kind of alleviate this like human suffering, um, as a byproduct, but in reality, we're paying less wages and we're, we're still having productivity. So that's the real benefit. That's, that's the filter that everything has to pass through. That's how we can only view we can only view progress through the lens of, oh, we're increasing productivity, we're increasing growth, we're increasing profits. It's sort of like the yardstick for progress, you know, and mm-hmm. and it it makes me so sad because um, maybe, you know, maybe uh, the four day work week is like increasing the human's well-being pretty significantly. It's still it's still not the main reason and it's still going to continue to be pushed to be pushed to the wayside, especially when you know, their wages have to be kept as low as possible. So it's like, are we really actually benefiting humans? And that I think that's something that is so problematic about our culture at large anyways, is because, you know, we sort of have this vision or at least I think billionaires and these business owners have this vision of like, oh yes, we're, we're eventually going to get so sophisticated with our automation that we're going to be able to, you know, fully remove the human aspect of labor. So that it is consistent it is efficient and it is highly profitable because there's no cost to it but they're not thinking how are we going to deal with all of these humans that are being displaced or at least that's i've never heard that become a part of the conversation at all and um you know, in, in sort of a dystopian lens, it's just going to be, well, maybe we just got to kill them or something, you know, or, you know, mm-hmm. some people present like, oh, we just need to give them a stipend just for existing because their entire purpose is to consume, you know. So right. I, I think that's a very interesting point. And I wonder how we can start to kind of move away from the idea that any sort of human labor is a cost. And sort of moving towards the understanding that human labor human labor is actually extremely valuable um, and needs to be seen that way
1: i totally agree I, you know uh, and that, that's where i think the the small autonomous communities come in is that these communities just exist together right you have you have a uh, let's just say a couple hundred or you know a couple thousand people and Whenever they can agree on something, which is probably not going to be very often because people are diverse as well, diversity of thought and, and you know, ambition. But uh, whenever they do agree on something um, that science backed, I think that's an important part is that science kind of plays this a central role in um, choosing uh, how kind of resources are used. Um, then they can, you know, probably accomplish some amazing stuff. I mean, we all have the Internet all the time how to videos and we, we could probably build some pyramids somewhere <laughs> if we wanted <laughs> right yeah uh, not the no, for the benefit of I, everyone, I, of course
0: <laughs> oh uh, for the benefit of others of course <laughs> oh yes of course yeah we need those pyramids <laughs> um i actually i really like that and i think um I think that's definitely going to have to be something that is understood. And let's say we do actually decentralize power. We get ourselves down to these, like, you know, autonomous groups that just are working together to essentially like, you know, to just provide existential meaning and, you know, better, better lives for themselves. I am curious how we are supposed to deal with um, certain like issues or I guess ideas that we we want to have be universal and i guess this is sort of like social justice type issues you know like do we allow certain collectives or you know communities to say hey we don't want black people or we don't want gay people like do we i wonder how we would deal with that do you think it's sort of just they have to work that out at a community level or Is there, does there need to be some sort of law of the land or something, or does that just bring us back to the same problems?
1: Well, I think if those sorts of measures were being pushed or like those agendas were being pushed, uh, agendas that were meant to, uh, exclude or or harm or disparage, you know, minority marginalized groups or, uh, 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 minority groups or demographics, then, um, I would say that that's a failure, uh, an on an educational level and um i would say that you know those aren't those aren't science backed uh things and so or, or i I, um, I i guess that's an assumption but i mean history's taught us that's always true it's it, there's no science in this it's just bias and so um i would say that uh advocacy would be at the forefront of a lot of those issues you know i think if if we kept these if these groups i'm I'm thinking these groups or these communities would be like geographically uh defined and so Mm -hmm. you would you would have a lot of advocacy you know especially young people uh going around and 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 i think it would be even more effective at the advocacy that is because um you're dealing with a small um uh, kind of group and so you 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 kind of really understand this community and you can say like hey like you know you know this guy um, that you're trying to harm or, or, or exclude or oppress. Like he 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 lives here with you. You know what I mean? Like like we all know each other. And so I think that um, it it would be advocacy would be even more effective um, to kind of combat those biases. And I think on an educational uh, st- from an educational standpoint, it'd be easier to kind of convince people why uh, that they are biased and and why that's harmful, right?
0: Yeah, I actually like that a lot, because what I'm hearing is you're saying that if I I like the idea that the advocacy and the activism is going to be way more potent, because the problem has already been diluted down to a communal problem, you know, because when it's when it's sort of a systemic or social problem on like a national level, it sort of feels like, holy shit, we've got to have a systemic or national response in order to fix this. But it sounds like what you're saying is is that if it's actually brought down to a communal level, then it's so much easier to have it be a community-based solution in the fr- and in that instance. Is what it sounds like. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think uh, that um, one thing that's essential is um, the free use of information. You know, these these communities have, and I'm talking on a larger scale here, like you know, multiple. Autonomous groups—they would have to be able to share information and, and, and the science that they're doing um, with each other, and so we we have to change how we see ideas. They're not—they're not something that can be owned. They're something that's meant to improve the lives of everybody. We have to share them with everyone, and that—that that means that. I mean, people always say that um, capitalism uh, uh, breeds innovation. But we've seen that a lot of good ideas that benefit everyone that don't, that aren't necessarily profitable get uh, stifled and they get killed because Mm -hmm. they're not useful to the current elite or, uh, you know, the current industries that we're perpetuating. And so we just give up on the, it's like, oh yeah, this would help everybody, but there's
0: no money in it. So sorry. (laughs) That kills me because you're you're totally right. It it is really only, their innovation only goes so far as it makes profit and growth for them and for their industry. And then we, we get like the crumbs potentially, you know, um, actually, do you have any examples of sort of these, these kinds of like almost crowdsourced solutions or innovations that were stifled, um, by corporations? Well, not necessarily
1: a specific like breakthrough. Um, but uh, we can see that the electric motor, uh, 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 electric vehicle industry was, um, there There has been, it's come to light that, that these industries really weren't interested in electric vehicles and big oil had a big part to play in that. Um, mm-hmm. So that's something right there, you know, something that has long-term benefits switching to electric vehicles. We could have done that much, much sooner, but there wasn't a financial incentive. And so uh, they stopped that. Another good example is um, public transit. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of public transit. Uh, um, not necessarily an idea, but um, we, as a country, chose to um, sell our communal, uh, community-owned public transit systems to private interests. And those private interests um, ran them into the ground, uh, destroyed them. Uh, literally, and then um, those same private interests were selling us cars and lobbying for super highways and then urban develop, you know, urban highway developments. And um, we all can see that that's we, we can all see how that kind of short term thinking um, really really uh, caused a lot of issues and uh, a lot of inefficiencies. They thought I'm, I'm sure they thought they were doing something good at the time. They probably thought highways would be great, but um, that's why it needs to be science backed, I guess. But I, I guess those are just two examples that I can think of where um, capitalism sort of stopped or, or acted contrary to the the good of mankind. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: um, I mean that honestly, the public transit example is sort of perfect because it really could we could have had this pathway towards all this infrastructure, social norms, and resources to build very efficient uh you know transportation systems that are not only going to be available to everyone and if you know if we develop it make it more efficient but it's actually going to be a lot safer for people you know we don't realize that uh having an individual car in these highways is like killing hundreds of thousands of people per year and it's you know we're still in traffic you know we're still dealing with all these issues we're dealing with the the extreme expense of owning a car And, uh, we're all just being sort of shunted towards this, uh, this system that we think is sort of the best, even though there are other alternatives that if we just give them the time and attention and investment, we can actually make so much better for everybody. Um, but that's like a perfect example of how it's actually more beneficial to these industries that are not only going to be profiting off of all of the, you know, manufacturing and selling of automobiles, but also the fuel that is used to you know, continue uh, using those types of things. So, I mean, that's a perfect example right there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And I, you
1: know, as I was just, you know, thinking in my head, there are examples of people who have, you know, uh, given away information and it's ended up um, hugely benefiting mankind. Like I, I, I believe I, I, I might, um, I'm not certain of this, but a uh, penicillin, you know, um, was, was, uh, not, uh, I believe the scientist who invented penicillin uh, shared it, uh, you know, and, and wasn't acting for um, personal gain. And he ended, you know, I mean, it's huge, right? It prevents infection. It's an antibiotic and uh, saves a lot of lives. I, I believe there's been a few different scientific breakthroughs like that where the scientists saw the good, the potential for good for all mankind. And then they kind of foregoed their own personal gain for that, uh, you know
0: yeah because they chose not to patent it right like I, i think that's exactly what happened with penicillin um and that's so sad because you know we saw with the pandemic um there wasn't this sort of idea it wasn't like hey literally the entire world is experiencing this so we need to make sure that whatever solution is um brought forth needs to be available to everybody and make sure that it isn't patented or owned and yet I think exactly what happened here in the United States is we actually, you know, gave funds to these corporations who had they would not assume any of the risk for developing these vaccines, and then um, I think they actually were able to own the patents for them and be able to keep all the profits for it. So, like, this is just the standard procedure of our system right now, and people sort of think that it's the best and the only way. Yep.
1: Yeah. And it's, it really is just the money thing, man. Like if you can just convince people that money is, it's like electricity. All it does is it allows us to transact, you know, it's a tool just like anything else. It doesn't keep you safe or it, and it, and it, it is harmful if used incorrectly. <laughs> so, uh, just, it, it doesn't provide safety, you know, communities provide safety. We just have to start seeing people
0: as people. Yeah, so I'm wondering. I mean, I just how do we do that? Like, how do we get the message out? You know, because money is so pervasive, so powerful um, in terms of not only like it gives you power within our system, but it also is just seen as essential and as the the main way to exist and you know further your own existence. I guess. So I'm, I'm wondering how we can really awaken people to the concept that no money is literally not the answer. It's just a tool that is being used to actually debilitate and, you know, uh, tyrannize Mm -hmm. us. Um, we need to actually be focusing on something else. Like, I mean, what do we even do there? I think it just
1: boils down to making sure that everyone's needs are met. Uh, If someone has a roof over their head, healthcare, food, water, clean water, um, they're not really going to, you know, they're not going to care about money all that much. Uh, it's the fear of losing those things that makes money so dangerous. I will do anything for money if it means that my family is safe and that they get health healthcare and food and water. Um. And as, so, you know, as long as we're treating people who don't have money as if they're worthless and that their role in society is to uh, subsist off of the scraps and the leftovers of everybody else, as long as we believe they deserve that just because they don't have money, uh, things aren't going to change. But uh, so so we need to be taking care of those people, the, the people who don't have money. <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as not having money doesn't ruin your life, that's when uh, I think we'll be on
0: the right track holy shit that that's seriously so profound dude like uh i i didn't even think about that because literally every time i'm like man i need to start making changes i need to be so different in terms of how i engage with the world and engage with my community the thing that always stops me is well i still need to go to work make money to survive you know Uh, that that's insane how easily you put that because it just totally reoriented everything for me In terms of being able to see that that is definitely the solution so so let's say we do somehow get our shit together on a national level we say okay nobody is ever gonna be homeless nobody's gonna be hungry and uh, nobody's gonna be without medical care it sort of sounds like we have to somehow centralize power even more which you know I'm just so wary of in general Uh, it sounds like we have to centralize power in order to provide all of these basic necessities and then somehow from there devolve power and decentralize power while still maintaining that sort of central idea that everybody deserves to have their basic necessities met. I'm wondering how we can even sort of do that. It's,
1: it's tough because there are national and international functions that are required, or uh, I guess we consider them to be be required on a national or international level. Like, um, I mean, universal basic health, universal health care, you know, like we consider that as only achievable on a federal level and Mm -hmm. how those industries, how the health industry works and how insurance works, that's currently true. Um, Or, I mean, I guess I I, I wouldn't be able to say if it was true, but it definitely feels true. It feels like that's the only way to achieve that is through um, federal, you know, like legislation. But... Uh, you know, we're—that's what I'm talking about—is that like who decided that we all did? You know, we can we can provide healthcare to people. Um, I mean, I don't—it it sounds so far fetched. Like I'm listening to myself say it, and it just sounds ridiculous. And that's how like deep it is. You know, like healthcare is provided by people who live in our communities, right? They need to be taken care of too. If we can convince them that. The, we are going to take care of them and that we're, and that, you know, to, to like, you know, like let's just convince the doctors that like, Hey, you live in our communities too. Like I get, you're making a ton of money. Congratulations. But like, we just need you to help. You need, you, you, we need you to provide healthcare to us because we live here. And in return, we're going to provide you with all of the stuff that you like because you live here. Right. I mean, it's as simple as that, I
0: guess. That's, that's so interesting. Cause it's, what it sounds like is we can't really rely on the national system to sort of change its nature right now and say, okay, we're actually going to benefit everybody. You know, we're actually going to work to benefit everybody. It sounds like we sort of, we do need to seize like all of the, all of these resources that we have on a communal level and build it up there so that it's just sort of ubiquitous, right? It, everywhere it just understands you focus on your community, you help your community. That's what's important. That's what's prioritized. Um, is that kind of what you're getting at? That that's that's sort of what I'm starting to see.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we think that it's so complicated, right? Like you got to have insurance, you got to, you know, this and that. And like the drugs are made in, um, Denmark. So we got to ship them from Denmark and all, you know, and that's all true. There are some things that we can't achieve on a local level. Um, Mm -hmm. but we as a community have to be held accountable to each other. And so it, bringing making sure everyone's needs are met on a local level and then um becoming a becoming autonomous and becoming free means we have to be responsible for ourselves and so um that means we have to provide health care for ourselves you know we we have to all of the base needs that hum, humans have like we have to be able to provi- provide that for ourselves as a community if we can't then then yeah we will need help from A governing body forever right Uh, but but i i I really like i said i really think people act in their own best interest 99.9 percent of the time um and as long as their needs are being met i like
0: i like that a lot that's that's a super important thing to understand because um you know when you describe that example of like oh yeah just like it's not necessarily that we can sort of manufacture and you know uh, dis- distribute all of the resources we need for you know medical care right within our communities. We do need to source it from somewhere. Sometimes you know that, that's just going to be a reality. But it sounds like what our systems have been built up for and what our systems wholly prioritize is the distribution and therefore the consumption. Rather than saying, "Hey, the problem starting with our community needs help. Where do we get it?" It's sort of like, "Hey, we can uh, manufacture and distribute this. Who do we give it to?" you know, who's going to actually pay for it, who's going to consume it so that I can benefit from it. Um And I think we just have to start developing that shift, we have to sort of like understand on a local and a communal level, what is absolutely most important, which is taking care of ourselves and our communities, because it sounds like our culture isn't really making that jump. It's just sort of like, yeah, take care of yourself. And the only way to do it is through the system that we've got right here for you, you know, prioritize your own needs and your uh, your own preservation. And it's not by, it's not going to be by, you know, communism and by <laughs> working within your community. It's going to be by going out there, making money from somebody, and then uh, using that to build your own enterprise or something like that. Um, so we just have to start building this shift. And I think, and I, you know, if I'm being honest, I really think that people are starting to wake up. You know, I kind of, when I started You know, getting the vocabulary and ability to start critiquing capitalism stuff. I was like, man, I'm so smart. I definitely am like ahead of the curve and I know more than everybody. But the only reason I was actually gaining any of that understanding and any of that ability was because there is a cultural awakening happening. There is people just starting to understand like, whoa, this system doesn't actually work for us. It doesn't at all. Like I'm just totally devoting my time, my consciousness and my abilities towards a system that's actually harming me. So I, I kind of, I loved having that realization, to be honest. I loved understanding like, wow, this is not about me at all. I'm just a part of this awakening that everybody is experiencing. And I think it's just going to keep growing, to be honest.
1: I agree. I agree. I think people are totally waking up and, um, uh, a lot of, you know, recently we've seen a lot of, um, Pushback from labor groups, uh, a lot of labor organizations and strikes and, uh, attempts at, uh, creating unions. And I think that really is a great first step is, um, you know, help let's, let's get people negotiating power. Let's get la- people who actually make the stuff and do the things. Let's get them negotiating power, um, to, to take some of that wealth back. And then once we get that wealth back from, you know, the super rich, then we can use it to start improving our communities and making sure all of our um, people's needs are met. And then from there, we all we have to do is cooperate and unite. And uh, we, can, we, we can really combat a lot of the corruption and a lot of the issues that are causing all the problems.
0: Yeah, I love that because it's definitely been so awesome to see this. Um, just seeing people finally understand, hold on. We hold all the power all the time. Like we are the ones that can decide whether this this company is going to continue making profits. Um, And I think that that the cool thing about what we're experiencing right now is it's starting to transcend um, political ideologies. It's not like, oh yeah, all of the left wing people are now organizing and building unions. What's actually happening Is it's people that are just understanding that they're continually being exploited, standing up for themselves and seizing back power so that they can make real change. And I agree, that's definitely going to be, you know, that's going to be what's building the momentum towards real systemic change.
1: And and what's what's amazing is that um, we we all are here for it. We're like in the audience. Like the internet has made it so that we can all watch as this happens. And so every time. A crime is committed uh, against humankind, uh, and, and every time we see, uh, you know, groups of people try to combat this corrupt system, um, there are so many millions of other people watching and seeing the injustice, even if they don't win. I mean, the, the Amazon, the, the attempts of unionization in Amazon, I believe it was in Louisiana, um, yeah, they, they didn't, I, they weren't successful. But everyone saw, everyone wanted them to win. And and the fact and, that they were able to do it and the fact that Amazon responded so strongly and all of that was seen by millions of people. That's they're not playing by the rules. They never they never played by the rules. And so we're all seeing that, you know, it's it's obvious, it's public. <laughs> and I think that's amazing.
0: That's actually actually you pointing that out is really giving me a lot of hope because it's sort of like you know, a lot of times it's like, oh, I want to I make change where I'm at in my community, but I'm worried that it's just going to fail, right? But I love that because the idea is that it doesn't matter if it fails. The, it, What matters is that people are seeing it and that people are also being inspired because then they can say, okay, yeah, we lost this battle, but now we're gaining momentum because in, in the end, there's way more of us than there are of them. And so we're going to be able to really create change if we're all just on the same side and seeing the same thing and understanding that we can all work together to improve conditions. I love that so much, man. Um, yeah. Uh, so I think that dude, I think that is, uh, this is exactly what I wanted from this conversation. This was a beautiful <laughs> conversation, man. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to sit and chat with me. I always love uh, digging through your mind and getting your ideas. Cause you, you just uh, you and I click in such an awesome way where we can really communicate and understand each other and, Propose new ideas. And I love it that every time I talk with you, I just get like epiphanies. I'm just like, holy shit, I've never even thought of it that way. It just really helps me grow as a person. So I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to be on this podcast with me, man.
1: Well, thanks for having me anytime, Nathan.
0: Awesome. Okay, take it easy, man.